Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. Any of the cases that we work on, we like to consider them active as long as we can find just any kind of a small amount of uh, new evidence or anything on it, anything that we can run down, we're, we're going to work on it. And they said, you know, we've started working on this case from so long ago. Um, why don't you come in and we'll tell you all about it? So he was with his family. Uh, he planned on uh, starting a new job in the, the near future. He talked with his father about that. Sometimes when you go into these unsolved cases, when you start by finding the case, you know, there's a lot of, sometimes people have already done podcasts about it, or there was a lot of news coverage. In Carlton's case, there was very little news coverage of even the original incident. And when was the last time you got a lead in this case? Uh, it's been a while. The first 48 hours, to like the TV show, first 48 hours is really, really, uh, really necessary to get everything done that you can. Any homicide investigator will tell you that time is everything. With every passing hour, evidence becomes harder to track down, memories become cloudier, and leads dry up. Because you start to lose witnesses, uh, they either leave, they don't want to get involved, or they start to forget. Uh, your evidence, if you're not there on the scene working the case, your evidence can be destroyed or moved or uh, uh, something like that happens. So it's really imperative that you get on the case. But after that time period, the longer it goes before it's solved or before you get to work more on it, there again, the more witnesses that you have that uh, fade away into obscurity or the, sometimes the, the, the uh, evidence is uh, unavailable. But time doesn't always work against an investigation forever. For cold cases, sometimes the passing of time is what it takes to get answers, for new technology to be developed, or to convince someone to finally come forward with information. That's the hope for investigators in Arkansas, who are trying to solve the cold case murder of a 21-year-old killed in Little Rock nearly two decades ago. So do you think in this case, the time that's passed actually might help it get solved? It could. It could help. Uh, as I said, a lot of times people are hesitant to come forward uh, at the beginning because of retaliation or they know, uh, uh, you know they're dealing with a violent uh, person. And uh, as time passes, uh, maybe, maybe the people mellow out a little bit or they just get to where their conscience bears on them and they, they want to get involved. They want to help us solve it. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. 
As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. In 2022, Little Rock police say they have already responded to 10 homicides. Even as police work to solve those cases, not all investigations lead to justice. That's where LRPD's cold case detectives come in, looking at every unsolved case they can, some decades old. They still want to know who killed Carlton Daniel nearly 20 years ago. My name is Sarah Bakowitz, and I am a reporter anchor at THV 11 and work for the Unsolved series. Sarah Horbakowitz started covering unsolved cases last fall for THV 11 in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I ended up doing my first case a couple months back, and I was hooked with doing it. I loved um, trying to find answers and speaking to people and helping find closure for these families. And that was the goal when Sarah reached out to cold case detectives with the Little Rock Police Department earlier this year to see if there were any cases sitting on the shelves that might benefit from a little more exposure. A lot of the times with these unsolved cases, the police or officials might not be connected to the case anymore. It might be hard to find those answers. So we decided to maybe flip the script in this one. And I truly, I called Little Rock Police and I said, hey, are there any cases that you know, you would like the public to know more that you think, you know, that could help and that could really bring more. Because I think that's what it's important to remember is why we tell those stories is also to see if anyone watching could maybe remember something or help add to the case. And they said, you know, we've started working on this case from so long ago. Um, why don't you come in and we'll tell you all about it? Sarah sat down to talk about the case with Little Rock Police Major Crimes Detective, Alan Quattlebaum. So take me back to now over 18 years ago when this case began. Well, this was on uh, Saturday, November 8th, 2003, about three o'clock in the morning. Uh, Patrol division had gotten a call to uh, some shots fired in the area of 6510 Mabelville Cutoff, which is in Southwest Little Rock. And when they arrived uh, shortly afterwards, they found uh, uh, deceased male laying on the parking lot of the apartment complex there. Where was he shot? Uh, he was shot in the head. So, I mean, this wasn't an accident? No, no, I don't think it was an accident at all. So when first responders came to the scene, uh, they cut through his blue coveralls, and that's important for clothing evidence that I'll talk about a little later. Um, but, you know, they ruled that he had died and it was a gunshot wound and it was a shot to the head. Only one shot, but a shot to the head. Um, and so that he was, you know, dead on arrival to the hospital. And he was later identified as Mr. Carlton Daniel. It's a story that was covered in local media back in 2003 hasn't received much attention in the time since. There was very little information online. Sometimes when you go into these unsolved cases, when you start by finding the case, you know, there's a lot of, sometimes people have already done podcasts about it, or there was a lot of news coverage. In Carlton's case, there was very little news coverage of even the original incident um, all, that I could find. And all I could find was really like one slideshow. Um, so there was just very little known about it, period. Sarah Horbakowitz quickly began trying to learn more about the victim, 21-year-old Carlton Daniel. The family members didn't want to 
you know, go on camera for an interview with us, but I did talk with his brother a little bit and they just really want closure in this. They don't really want to give up. And, you know, like the detective says and told me too, is Carlton was a guy with aspirations. You know, he was a, he spent time with his family and he had ideas for the future. And I think that's important to remember in all of this. I mean, he was just 21 years old. Um, and so there's still so much times to do things, to work on things. Um, and especially, you know, he has a twin brother and I can't even imagine, you know, I'm a twin myself. I can't even imagine what that's like for his brother now to have lost his twin. So there's definitely a lot more to every person in a case like this. A case that proved challenging for investigators from the start. And uh, so once the uh, uh, body was found, they called out the detective division the homicide squad, and uh, we responded and started working on the homicide, tried to interview witnesses. Of course, at that time in the morning, there's not a whole lot of witnesses that were available. People heard the shots. Uh, some of them, a couple of them, I think, called 911 shortly afterwards, but some of them just blew it off as they hear shots all the time. So uh, our witnesses were very, very scarce at the time. And so was he found on the ground of the parking lot, not in a car? He was on the parking lot. Yes, on the pavement part of the parking lot. Just by himself? Yes, by himself. Mm -hmm. According to Detective Quattlebaum, Carlton Daniel had spent the prior day with family. He was. He was with his family. Uh, he planned on uh, starting a new job in the, the near future. He talked with his father about that. But what happened from there? And what happened in the moments before he was killed? We still don't know. There weren't any security cameras, and witnesses didn't see what exactly happened. According to Detective Quattlebaum, some did see a couple cars leave the area. There were a couple cars at the scene um, that people saw leaving shortly afterwards, so they could or could not have been involved. But all we had on that was just a, a white Lincoln Continental and a black Chevrolet Tahoe. But nobody caught the license plates. But no license plates or anything? No license plates. And once you get to a scene like that, you have patrol officers uh, kind of making a large perimeter checking for anybody moving, uh, anybody, uh, any vehicles leaving the area, anybody on foot in the area, anything like that. There's uh, uh, This is in close proximity to, uh, uh, at that time, it was a 7-Eleven store. So uh, we were uh, checking, you know, with them to see if they had seen anybody, checking on their surveillance cameras uh, at that time to see if there was any suspect information or anybody that we could identify. And uh, so we would pretty well run most of the leads that we had at that time back through the system. A big problem with the early days is that at 3 a.m. in a dark parking lot, there's not a lot of witnesses. So I think that was one of the problems with investigating this case early on is it was hard to find a specific lead to go off of. Sarah Horbakowitz asked Little Rock Police for a breakdown of where homicides occur in the city. And what she learned was that in recent years, more than one in every six homicides in Little Rock took place in a parking lot. The next question on her mind was how many of those cases were actually solved? I wanted to know how many were solved because if one of the issues was, you know, at 3 a.m. in a parking lot, there's not going to be a lot of witnesses, is that a problem that they continue seeing? And then what kind of solutions could that point towards? More lights, things like that. Um, and so a little over half of those parking lot homicides have been cleared they said, which means been solved. So that means just under half are still being investigated over the last five years.
with witness accounts providing very few details, investigators back in 2003 turned their attention to motive. Some of the uh, some of the witnesses that we talked to, or some of the people that we talked to that had been with uh, Mr. Daniel earlier in the day, gave us some information about some problems he had had with a few uh, people in the area uh, over the past uh, several days prior to his murder. And uh, we started looking into some of those leads. Uh, a couple of those people were interviewed and uh, they kind of alibied out. Uh, a couple of them we have not been able to locate since that particular time. Uh, one in particular that we would like to interview and probably will in the near future is uh, uh, in the penitentiary now for another crime that's committed later and had been sentenced to uh, uh, some time there. So we're hopeful that we can go down and talk to them and maybe get some information on the homicide. According to Detective Quattlebaum, all of the other early leads, the names brought up in connection with this case, were investigated until they were either ruled out or deemed inconclusive, meaning investigators hit a dead end. And so the case stayed open. You know, a homicide case is open until it's until it's solved or otherwise. Uh, uh, we never close a, a homicide case that, where there hasn't been any kind of an arrest made. So it's kind of, um, as you well know, the homicide detectives are pretty busy. Carlton Daniels' case went cold, ending up on a shelf next to all the other cold cases in Little Rock. In the cold case unit, they have file shelves and file shelves and binders of different things. And, you know, I remember the detective had a folder um, that's shown in my story with, you know, a thick folder of information from this case. And I had commented to him, you know, that's a lot. That's a thick folder. That's a lot in there. And he said, actually, this is one of our smaller folders. And he showed me huge binders of some other cases. A cold case squad, you know, a uh, cold case uh, homicide may uh, lay up in the file room for a couple of years sometimes before it's touched again. Uh, we try to go back over anything that we've got a lead on, and particularly anything where a lead comes in through uh, your service or uh, our tip line or anything like that. We'll, uh, we'll get that case back out and try to run that lead down and see where it plays out in the case itself. And when was the last time you got a lead in this case? Uh, it's been a while. It's been a while since we got one in this case. Now, I started working back with Cold Case Squad back in November. I haven't got anything since then, since I started looking at it. But we did have some leads back in, uh, I think, 2008, 2009. We, we followed up some leads on that uh, that kind of ended in dead ends. So... He said there wasn't really a lot of tips coming in on this case. Um, but if they did have any, he said they would look through them until it was inconclusive. So he was like, "There's if there's nowhere to go, if no one's cooperating, that would be the end of that lead. So it's it seemed that there wasn't really a lot of action with this case, a lot of tips with this case or people willing to talk about it uh, that they could verify. With no tips in over a decade, the hope, is that now, 19 years later, time might be on the side of investigators. Do you still hope that someone knows something? I'm certain that some, someone knows something. And uh, sometimes in a case, you'll see that witnesses are hesitant to come forward out of fear or retaliation or something like that. This case is, is one of those that's uh, it's got some time behind it. So hopefully there's uh, a little more openness to talk if we can come across the right witness or witnesses. So I'm hoping that somebody knows something about it, uh, that they'll come forward and uh, give us some information that will help us to solve the case. 
The other hope is that new DNA technology might bring new life to this case. Another thing that we're hoping is uh, we have new, uh, new evidence or new ways of processing evidence. There are new DNA uh, processes coming out that we've used uh, with a couple of other cases that we're pretty hopeful on. Uh, so I'm hoping that we can get this case uh, involved in some of those processes too. What kind, you know, what DNA would you still have? Uh, we still have clothing, clothing from the victim. So if there was any kind of a struggle or uh, uh, any kind of close contact with a suspect, hopefully there's DNA maybe on the clothing, uh, something like that that we'd come up with. And if any suspect DNA does exist, we could know within a matter of months. And when would that process start? We have another agency that we're working closely with on the, the DNA process. They have the the DNA uh, uh, unit that we would like to purchase for Little Rock. Hopefully, we're that purchased within the next uh, six or seven months, and we can start doing that particular process on our own. Right now, we rely on uh, another agency to assist us, and uh, that's time-consuming also. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson here with Reed Redman. Reed, this is a case that back in 2003 might have seemed unsolvable, but it doesn't sound like that's the case anymore. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you have a case here where there were seemingly no witnesses to the actual shooting, no security cameras, no suspect descriptions, anything like that, aside from maybe the descriptions of those cars. And for a long time, no real viable leads. And the case hasn't been covered much over the years. But of course, this case deserves to have eyes on it just as much as any other. There's still a family that wants answers, the same as any of the other unsolved cases that you do hear more about. And, you know, I realize this ended up being sort of a shorter episode because there isn't a ton of evidence here to dig into. But I am glad we were able to bring Sarah on to talk about it. And and hopefully, like we heard, time might finally be on investigators' side here and something will happen in the near future. Yeah, it was really interesting listening to how eager they were to talk to her or they are to talk to her about this case and and just bring it all forth and talk about the evidence and what they have. But let's talk a little bit more about the potential DNA evidence. What exactly are investigators hoping to find? So the detective was a little vague about what exactly the new technology is that they're planning to use here. But the way I understood it is that they're trying to extract DNA off of the clothes that Carlton Daniel was wearing when he was killed. So maybe they've tried already swabbing the clothes for DNA, which is, you know, the more traditional collection method. But there are new technologies that can pick up usable DNA where swabbing might not be able to. We recently talked about the West Memphis 3 case on our daily podcast, The Daily Crime. And in that case, they're potentially going to use something called an MVAC, which is essentially a wet vacuum for DNA to retest, in that case, shoelaces, where traditional methods haven't been able to get anything off of the laces. But the legal team trying to exonerate the men convicted in that case hopes that this vacuum might be able to pick something up. So again, I I have no idea if that's the kind of thing this detective was referring to. Maybe they're just planning to swab the clothing and they haven't had the technology yet to sequence it in-house. I have the transcript of his interview with Sarah in front of me. And what he said was that his department wants to purchase a, quote, DNA unit so they can start, quote, that particular process on their own. For now, he said they're relying on another agency that does have whatever unit it is that they they want to use. And what wasn't clear to me from his statements is if they're shipping off the evidence to that other agency or if they're trying to wait until they have the technology in-house to actually test it. But whatever they're planning to do, the detective did tell Sarah 
He thinks they could have something within a couple months. And Sarah spoke to Detective Quattlebaum back in February. So hopefully that means we'll have more news on that really soon. And so in a best case scenario, what would that news look like? Yeah, that's a really great question. My understanding is that they don't know at this point if any of the perpetrator's DNA might be on that clothing. So it's it's not like they have a DNA profile of the perpetrator and they're trying to use new technology to identify that person. This step is just to figure out if they have any other sets of DNA on the clothing. And then the next step from there would be trying to identify that person. Again, this was a shooting. The detective didn't say whether he thought there was evidence of any altercation beyond that or where the gun was fired from. So I don't know how likely it is that the perpetrator's DNA would have actually ended up on Carlton Daniel's clothes. But again, to answer your question, the best case scenario would be that there was some sort of altercation, that they would be able to get a DNA profile from the perpetrator on file and then start trying to identify that person. And Reed, there was at least one other potential lead the detective mentioned, someone he wanted to interview. Where does that stand? Right. He mentioned there was one person they were unable to locate during the initial investigation here. But as he said, that person is now in prison for an unrelated crime. So he wants to finally interview that person and see if maybe they have some information on Carlton's case. I don't think he said whether or not that person is a suspect here or or someone just that he thinks might know something. But he said COVID kind of threw a wrench in trying to nail down some of these interviews of people in the prison system, but that he's hoping to do that interview within the next few months. So similar to the DNA testing, we could have more information on that pretty soon as well. All right, Reed, thanks for bringing us the story this week. And also thanks to Sarah Horbakowitz at THV 11 in Little Rock, Arkansas. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story. <laughs>